Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of SA Voices from the Field. Each week we aim to bring you the true stories of student affairs. Over the course of this podcast, we hope to bring you both voices that feel like they are telling your own story and those that bring you stories you've never heard before. The podcast with expert guests and practical advice. Get ready to learn and become the best higher ed professional you can be. Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. I'm your host, Dr. Corliss Bennett, and I'm so happy to have you here. This podcast is sponsored by NASPA. So today, I'm really excited to have Miss Megan Riley. Megan is a PhD candidate in English Language and Literature at the University of Waterloo, which is in Canada. Um, Megan, give us just a little background information about you and what you're doing at the University of Waterloo. Sure. I am currently a peer success coach at the Student Success Office at the University of Waterloo. I've worked in multiple student affairs positions during the PhD, including grad student orientation, career services, and student leadership programs. Really interested in gaining student affairs uh, physician experience during my PhD because prior to my PhD, I was a high school teacher and tutor in the Flint, Michigan area. And uh, just before applying to grad school, I applied to a few student affairs positions and, you know, I was told that I didn't really have enough experience. So I'm, I'm getting that experience now. So this really will be kind of your first, this experience that you've had recently will be really your first experience within student affairs. The experience that I've, I've gotten during the last four years, yes, um, especially, you know, at the post-secondary or higher education level. So tell us just a little bit about the University of Waterloo. It's really well known for its computer science and engineering programs. It's a public university about an hour west of Toronto, and uh, there are over 30,000 undergraduate students. It has the largest cooperative education program in Canada. They really pride themselves on that. Would you say, is it an urban, suburban, or rural area? It's a relatively urban area. Um, Great public transportation. I would say decent access to resources, but it's really built up around the university. So my understanding is that, that all of the growth has been in the last 50 years and really because of the university. Now, give us a little bit about your background as far as your higher ed experience, as far as your degrees and how you got to this point. I was uh, a fairly traditional student as an undergrad um, in most ways. I did high school and uh, then community college in Flint, Michigan. And after two years at Charles Stewart Mott Community College, I moved, um, I transferred to the University of Michigan, Flint, and did my bachelor's there earning a teaching certification in history and English. I remember taking my first master's class literally the semester after I graduated. I wasn't quite ready to to leave school. But at the same time, I really wanted to um, pursue full-time teaching. And it just it didn't work out quite the way I planned. I had my first child just a little um, after a year since graduating. I was working at Flint Genesee Job Corps at the time, um, and I didn't qualify for FMLA, so I quit. Um, and, and from there, my journey as a teacher was kind of rocky. I had children to support. I was working in a lot of part-time and grant-funded positions. So I continued taking classes part-time, and in 
2014, I finished my Master of Arts in Liberal Studies at the University of Michigan Flint. Gotcha. So at this point, you're starting to look towards the higher education piece. Yeah. Now, just a, another quick question as, as, we, as I kind of have a segue to dive into the topic for today. When you were a grad student at the University of Michigan, Rackham, is, am I saying that right? Yes. Were you working with students at that time? I was. So at that time, I think I was in probably three different part-time positions to support my education and my family. I was working as a tutor for Mont Meadow College in Flint, Michigan, uh, which is also the high school that I graduated from. I was doing some private tutoring, uh, and I was working in the Student Success Center at the University of Michigan Flint. Uh, And so that was the piece where, even though I had student services experience, uh, it was really in um, a a back-end role. I was doing a lot of resume critique online for uh, students and alumni, and I didn't really have that face-to-face student affairs piece that I think that they wanted. Now, my second question, again, a segue to our topic, did you work with international students? So, uh, one of the uh, people on a research project I was working on, one of my other part-time positions while I was there, uh, was an international student from China. Um, so, so, definitely, there, there were some. So, which leads us, so, so you did have some experience with working with international students at the University of Michigan, but now you are in Canada. And you are a PhD candidate, and now you are considered an international student, correct? That's correct. So now you're on the other side of the totem pole. Not only that, you're uh, with a single income mom, and you're working in student services as an international student. Please tell us about that experience and what you've learned from that. Sure. What I've noticed over the past few years, at least at the University of Waterloo, but I think this is happening elsewhere, is that a lot of student affairs uh, departments and programs are moving towards a peer services model. Um, And I think that uh, what that brings is uh, advising and student affairs from a student's perspective which ultimately makes the service more student-centered. So being an international student and single-income mom at the University of Waterloo has definitely informed um, how I work with students. As an advisor, I have training in best practices for resources and referrals. And through working in all of these student affairs positions concurrently, I have a lot of knowledge about resources across different support units. But I really believe that one of the reasons that I've been such an effective advisor is that I'm immersed in the student experience, uh, the joys and the struggles. I have a lot of knowledge of resources on campus and in the community because of my own experiences as a student, and I empathize with students who are non-traditional or having difficulty with academics. Uh, One of the biggest factors in my success as a peer advisor for University 101 last year was that I shared with students my own struggles and the ways that I overcame them. 
And then I worked with those students to make a plan based on their own situation and goals. Absolutely. And what's really exciting about your background, you've, you've touched upon every, except being non-traditional, you've touched upon every aspect of higher ed as far as the different types of students that come to our institution. So even though you were, you went right from high school, you went right to a community college. So then you have that quote transfer experience when you went into University of Michigan then you turn around and during that time you have a child. I'm not sure if I'm in the right uh, uh, order, but you have a yep. child at that time, right? So now, now you're like a transfer student. Now you're getting your BA and now there's a child. So then that, that just touches a whole nother audience, like you said, being able to share with your students your experiences. And then to top it all off, now you're an international student. <laughs> so that is, that is so exciting to me to hear like all the different pieces of higher ed and how valuable you will be, um, how valuable I should say you are now and will be in your next step once you uh, graduate with your doctorate. And there are a lot of pieces of being an international student that I could not have predicted. I, I did a lot of research about the institution, about resources, about different employment opportunities. But it really wasn't until I was doing my degree that I realized, oh, I don't qualify for that tax benefit until I've been here for 18 months. Or, you know, this resource isn't available to me because I'm not a permanent resident or citizen. Um, and again, I think that that's, that's given me a different layer of empathy uh, for students. Absolutely. Because now, unlike us when we're in the United States and we're working with these students and we can't get them things because they can't qualify for this and they can't qualify for that. And this scholarship is only for that. Now you're on that side. So tell us a little bit how you navigate this. How do you navigate knowing things that because you've come from the United States and knowing some of the things that can happen now you're in that mm -hmm. spot where, okay, what do I do? So what do you do? Uh, well, I could talk about how I have navigated my own situation, or I could talk a little bit about how it's influenced my work with students. What would you prefer? I mean, give me a little bit of both, because the, either way, we're going to learn from it, because now you are an international student in Canada trying to navigate through the system. And, and, and I think folks would like to know, um, because, again, there's probably folks who are thinking about doing grad work in Canada. So if you can kind of give us a little bit of both, that's cool. So one of the ways that I navigated my own situation was actually working in student affairs. So it, I mean, it differs, you know, from faculty, from faculty, from institution, institution, but at my own institution, uh, there are definite limits on um, the funding we receive and how that funding gets allocated to us. So as an international student in the faculty of art, I can only teach one class per term, and I might not even be offered that. Um, I've made relationships with other departments, and I've worked for other departments, but um, either way, one class per term. I started looking at other opportunities, and I thought, well, I'm interested in student affairs experience anyway. Why not work in some of these uh, student positions in student affairs? And so at this point, um, was it then difficult to find jobs because you are, quote, international American, <laughs> which is such a trip to kind of flip like that. But were you, yeah. able, to, were you able to obtain some jobs? So absolutely. Um, I started out um, kind of slowly. The first position I had in student affairs, 
uh, at the University of Waterloo was as a student leadership program facilitator. There's this great certificate the university offers also through the Student Success Office. Students take uh, 12 workshops um, at any time during their degree and they get a certificate in student leadership. And I saw a posting and I thought, wow, I can get the training in student leadership and then I'll get paid to facilitate these workshops. And there was also great training in public speaking and in being audience centered. Uh, so it was a really valuable opportunity. But again, it was part time. I moved from that to volunteering and then working uh, as a student career leader at the uh, Center for Career Action. See, and that, and, and it's really, as I'm listening to you, and I think about my work and students who come to me saying, how do you get into this? And, and everything that you're doing as a, quote, international student to get your feet wet within the University of Waterloo is basically what we tell our students here in the United States. So it's like you, mm-hmm. are, you are truly navigating the exact same way but but you're coming in with the knowledge that, okay, everything is not given to you because you are the international student now. Right. That, and I think um, I needed to step away from my preconceptions of my level of experience. It's no longer I am a mature student who already has experience as a teacher. It's what can I learn? Yeah, and how can I better serve students using what I learn? And how is that going to make me more effective, both with students and in my career? Now, let me also ask, because we have to throw in, um, is it a, uh, is, is, you have a son or a daughter? I have three sons. Oh, Jesus. Wait a minute. Where did the three come from? <laughs> you know, yeah. I never, asked, I never asked how many. I was thinking one, but my goodness, girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. How, old, how old are your children? So um, my oldest turned 11 last Friday. Okay. I have an eight and a half year old and a almost three year old who was born in Canada. Okay. So now we have two kids that were born in Michigan, I'm assuming. Yeah. And then we have an international child. Yes. Oh, how, <laughs> now that is really something. Now, so going back to thinking, thinking again, because again, here we have students that have children and how they have to navigate. Was it difficult Uh for you with the childcare thing? Was was there stipulations? How did you work out the childcare? Because how long have you been at Waterloo? A couple years, right? Two, what, one or two years? Actually, uh, a little over four. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, it's definitely been complicated. Um, at first, the first couple of years, it was uh, a, a partnership, you know, where um, my children's father and I would work out our schedules and I would say, okay, you know, these are the times that I have to be gone. And because they were, you know, part-time student affairs positions, it usually worked out pretty well. Since 2017, I've had my youngest in part-time childcare. And I was able to get some bursary assistance from the University of Waterloo starting last year for his childcare. 
So it's already bad enough, and I hate to say bad enough, but difficult enough for students with kids to find childcare that also goes with their program. So there wasn't, was there any international type stuff that you had to get extra visas or extra uh, um, um, license or whatever that you might need to put your child in school there? Because you have an 11 year old, I think you said, and an eight. So I'm assuming that's eight is like third grade or so. And 11 is like, what, six ish. But yeah, you have issues in trying to enroll them because that's something that is a part of navigating your school and making sure that you're navigating their school. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that I had issues. I will say that um, I had to do a lot of research both before we moved and once we were there to figure out what I needed to do to enroll them. Um, and I ended up actually homeschooling my oldest for the first couple of years for other reasons. And then about a month into our stay there in my program, finally enrolling my then four-year-old in school. Now, see, now here's my, here's my vision of you. Okay. I see you. um, Do you plan on staying in Canada or are you going to come back to the States? I am open to all opportunities. Okay. (laughs) So I can totally see you coming back here and working for an international student services office. I, this is just me. This is just me. You know, just go with me in my, in my dream of you here. I'm just having this prediction piece because you have gone through or you're going through exactly what our international students are dealing with and to be mm-hmm. able to tell them your story and be more sympathetic to them. And then really, like you said, you like to do a lot of research um, and knowing the different things that they would need, which, which would help students, A, international students, and then international students with kids. So I, I could totally see you um, starting in, in some kind of international student services and then becoming a director of the department. Because you're... you're Maybe. You're, yes, I'm just, I'm just, this is just me. <laughs> just Coralist, you know, filling the vibe because as I'm listening to you, I'm like, you have both sides of the coin. So A, that's going to make you more sympathetic than anyone else. Because I know as a first generation college grad, I'm always, I'm sympathetic to everyone because my thing is I didn't get the information. So I'm trying to do like you, the research, make sure this, this, you can do this scholarship, but you can't do this one, but don't worry, you can do this. Oh, no worry. You can do that. And so I'm always in that mode and I can totally just by, you know, just by meeting you in this few moments that we've been together can see you. And the fact that you say you share your experience can really see you thriving in someone's international student services offices because of your experience. Yeah, I like that idea. So that's that's what I would do. I would start researching and, and, and looking. <laughs> and looking um, how, how long do you have left on your degree? I am scheduled to turn in a full draft of my dissertation by the end of June and defend by the end of the year, hopefully earlier, but we'll see. Wait, the whole draft or, or just the abstract or just the um, proposal? Like all five? A full, a full draft, yeah. So did you have a part where you did the first three or, or you, they don't do it like that up there? Um, sorry? 
So did you do, did you have to defend, because I had to defend my proposal mm-hmm. first, and then the second defense was the whole thing. Did you have a step uh, phase, or you have to just do everything when you do it? Yeah, so we don't defend our proposal per se. We do have to submit a proposal, and we do have to wait for feedback from our supervisor and the department and then make revisions based on their feedback. Um, and once the, pr- the proposal is approved by them, we start the writing process. Okay. So you, so you have done something like that. You just didn't have to defend it per se. Exactly. So you did the first three chapters already, and then so you just now you're wrapping it up with the fourth and fifth per se, right? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. I just got nervous when you said I have to have the whole thing in by June. I was like, hey, whoa, what happened happened to the feedback in between? So, oh, congratulations to you then. Okay. Thank you. So you're going to have this, hopefully, crossing our fingers, wrapped up for you to submit in June. Go through all the plan. So go through all the back and forth corrections. And then your, your, your degree would be posted as summer. Or are you saying the end of the year? I think you said end of the year. I'm trying to. Yeah, it will probably be in fall. It takes a while um, in my department anyway to schedule the fence to make sure that everybody can meet at the same time. Um, and there are all these rules too. Like for instance, once you've submitted a full draft and everyone in the committee has signed off on it, they make you wait for at least six weeks to defend. Okay. <laughs> they won't even they won't even book it. <laughs> so okay. yeah. What, and, and and might I say, and you have three kids. <laughs> and I have three kids. And you're working 10 jobs, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, seems, it seems that way sometimes. I've actually cut back a lot so that I can focus on my dissertation writing. <laughs> so you've only cut back to three jobs then? Right now, um, I'm... <laughs> Let's see. So I just wrapped up teaching a class. I have some grading to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I am off for the summer from my peer success coach position, and I tutor part-time remotely. See? I was counting. I was counting. I said, so now you're down to three jobs, <laughs> plus being um, a grad student, plus being a mother of three boys at that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. All righty. Well, no, this is, this is, this is, this is exciting. I mean, you really touch upon every aspect that, um, a, a student, a professional can go through. Like I said before, the transfer piece and navigating being a transfer student, the BA, the first child, the jobs, then looking at your master's and then going for your doctorate as an international student. So this really, I mean, your, your program, um, everything that you've done is to me is quite impressive. And I, I, I truly, I, I can't say enough. Um, you really need to start looking at international student services because I think you would be great at it. Thank you. Um, and, and I, what I would do, uh, unasked for advice is as you look at higher ed jobs or whatever, um, you know, all the different search, uh, uh, websites that are out there for us in, in higher ed and education would be just to look and see what does that entail? What does the international students coordinator entail? What does an advisor entail? What does a, a director? And I bet you, you can check off a whole lot of things just from your Yeah, experience. I never, 
I never even thought of it. So I appreciate that recommendation. Absolutely. And that's why I'm here. And that's why we do these podcasts, because you are helping someone else that is listening to us. And hey, I can help you because um, that's what we do. That's student affairs, right? Absolutely. Um, I think that being a resource. Yes. Absolutely. And I can totally, I can totally see that happen for you. Um, and we only have about five minutes left. And I know you had mentioned, I know I, I took you through, I wanted to hear more about your experiences because I wanted to let our listeners hear that. But you had mentioned the other side. It was something else you were saying you wanted to talk about, or maybe we, we might've mopped it in together, but I'm just trying to think it was um, what, what you're doing at, at University of Waterloo. I think you might've, might've been able to answer both. I think you shared both. I just, was there any, so let me just ask this. It's probably easier. Uh-huh. Is there anything else you want to share about your experience or about uh, your experience as an international student at the University of Waterloo or anything that you've learned in working within student affairs? Yeah. Uh, so I think I just want to talk a little bit about resources and professional development for student employees. Mm -hmm. Um, As um, an international student and single income mom, I I felt a little bit lost in figuring out how to best support students while also supporting myself. And so, you know, I talk with other grad students who say that they're having trouble um, managing financially. They're having trouble attending conferences. Um, they're having trouble with their own professional development. And then I have like the extra, you know, expenses of raising children. Um, and so, you know, we, we get funding for conferences, but uh, it's very research oriented. So it has to be a research conference and you have to be presenting to get the funding. Uh, two years ago, I attended the, the national conference for college women student leaders. And I was able to get a scholarship from the American Association for University Women, but there wasn't any funding from my university. So I asked multiple people I worked with in student affairs. I consulted the group on campus that advocates for PD outside of research careers. Nothing. And I know that these opportunities are out there. I know there are conferences that focus on women and parents' concerns in student affairs. Um, one of the things that I want to do moving forward is start a group for uh, the professional development, mentorship, and networking of uh, student employees in student affairs. Interesting. And that would be, I'm sure, welcomed. I'm sure welcomed. Yeah, yeah, I've gotten a little bit of interest um, at the University of Waterloo, um, but then again, you know, I might be leaving soon. So I, I'm really curious, uh, actually, to hear your thoughts on this matter. Um, what would you say are best practices for supporting the PD of students working in student affairs position? You know, it's really interesting because I was just thinking about, I was going to tell you about that. I'm thinking that there's an international KC. One of the things when I started, um, because I was in enrollment management, I was in admissions first as far as my start in higher ed and then um, in 92 and then crossed over to student affairs in 99. So my Mm -hmm. first conference was in Indiana, cold, oh, it was cold, (laughs) but cold Indiana in 2000. And one mm-hmm. of my uh, colleagues that she was working on her doctorate when I was working on my master's um, said, you know, just she just took me under her wing and just said, I'm going to help you navigate through NASPA. And one of the things that really helped me to navigate 
NASPA, which means you're navigating and learning more about student affairs, was joining a KC, a knowledge community. And so I was a part of the African-American knowledge community at the time, as well as my own personal mentor that would say, oh, come with me to these receptions. I want to introduce you to so-and-so. I want to introduce you to this person, that person. Oh, come with me to this program. I think you'll learn a lot from this, that, and the other. So I, and so again, going back to what my suggestion was for you, and I'm almost positive because we've, we've added so many um, I don't have the um, KCs memorized as far as their titles, but I know there has to be one that deals with international students. Um, and so that's something you can check on NASPA, on our NASPA.org uh, website to see. I'm just in my mind. I'm, I just know there is one. I know there's one about definitely one of women leaders and so forth. And then there's also one about working with transfer students. I mean, basically everything that you've done, I believe there's a, K- a KC for. And I found that being a part of the KC exposed me to, first of all, the group, you know, whoever's in the KC and the different jobs that they have, um, talking with them during lunch, breakfast, you know, meeting as many people as possible. Um, um, I would be in the lobby of the, (laughs) this is just what I did, my best practice. I would be in the lobby and I just sit there and I see some people I know who would be with people that I don't know. So I'm hugging, Hey girl, Hey, you know, and it's like, who is this? Oh, what do you do? And then we start sitting down and then all of a sudden, why don't we meet for drinks later? Or why don't we meet for lunch or whatever? And so I really would say that NASPA has really helped me in my career and learning about all, not all all the different aspects of NASPA, but all the different people and what they do. And that is what makes this, you know, so successful. So that's why I was saying, as you start, you know, finishing up things, look and see what kind of conferences you may not be able to go because it may not be funded by your school, but a lot of stuff is in Canada too. So I would kind of look and, you know, Google International Student Services. I would probably start with NASPA and then go from there because if there is, which I think there is a, a KC for international students, helping international students navigating whatever the title is, and I would contact the chair and then just ask them about the different conferences that are available in this field so that you can kind of have your eyes open to you know, the ones that might be right there in your backyard or right there, right across the, you know, river or whatever in, in, in Flint or Detroit, because I know that um, Detroit and you can just kind of go through there to get to Canada. But but mm-hmm. I think that would be my that would be a suggestion that I would, I would definitely start with looking to see what the KCs are. That's your best introduction to student affairs when you when it comes to NASPA. Because once you start with one KC and there's 30, 40 people in it, you've got 30, 40 different perspectives and 30, 40 different people who are working most likely in international student services or in, you know, whatever student services that you want to do, orientation, advising, um, admissions, whatever it is, there's going to be someone who's going to know something about another program or another symposium or, or a webinar. Um, because a lot of people, you know, we're all, all of us are dealing with uh, budget cuts. And so a lot of our programs now are webinars that you pay for, or sometimes they're free. And I would just really start immersing myself in learning more about what you think you might want to go into, which I suggest is International Student Services. But, but that, I think, would definitely help you to really kind of comb out what it is you like. Because it may not be International Student Services, but no matter what you do, 
Megan, you're still going to be able to help every student that walks through your office because you have had the experience that none of us have had. You know, everything that you've done is just, it's, it's, it's enough to touch a student every day in some aspect. That's my goal. Thank you for your recommendations. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Well, we have run out of time. This was a great (laughs) conversation. So I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope that you have found value in what you've heard. Please share the podcast with other student affairs professionals. We um, uh, launch a new topic each Thursday. Again, I look forward to having everyone join us next time as I share practical tips on our student affairs journey through all of our professional student affairs practitioners. So until then, have a great day or evening. Thanks for listening to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. If you enjoyed your time with us, tell a friend. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. If you want to be a guest, tell us your story. Email us at savoices at naspa.org. You can find all our info at naspa.org slash savoices. See you next time.